0: Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series in the beginning, which is a walk through the first 11 chapters of the Bible as we learn about the creation of everything. And we've, so far, we've covered the first two chapters uh, of the Bible. Uh, we have uh, covered the seven days of creation. We've talked about when God created man and woman, and they are now living in the garden. And that brings us to today's. Passage where we will cover the verses that lead us up to the saddest day in the history of the world. The day that everything changed away from what God designed and intended. Now, before we do that, we're going to go back to Genesis 2 and I want to set the stage for our message a little bit. I want to look at a couple specific creations that God made in his garden. Pick this up in Genesis 2, verse 9. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and is good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 16, he gives some instruction regarding this tree. He says, And then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So as we come to creation, we know that everything God created was good. And part of that good creation was two trees. One tree was the tree of life which seemed to have some role in sustaining life because as we will see next week, Adam and Eve were banned from eating this tree after they chose to sin. That would, And it specifically to prevent them from living together. Second, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And somehow it would grant a certain level of understanding to Adam and Eve that they did not have. The Bible doesn't really explain how it works. But it was going to give them some knowledge that they did not have. However, it worked. And so these are the two trees. The tree of life they could eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not allowed to touch. They were not allowed to eat. Now, some people always, they get caught up and they're like, this just seems like a fairy tale. It feels far-fetched. Because the farther that you get from an event, especially in our age of iPhones Uh, You know, uh, and going to the moon, uh, picturing two people standing in a garden seems like a fairy tale. But you have to look back in history. And over the ages of history, we had advanced that we've come far from that place. But the earliest people who lived, they started somewhere. You know, before the the wheel was invented, before electricity was invented, before all the modern-day technology that we had was invented, it started mankind and nature. And we built from there. And so now we reviewed this a little bit. We see these two trees in the garden. We're coming into Genesis 3 where they're living And Moses, who we believe wrote Genesis, introduces us to a a brand new character who would play a role in changing the world forever. Genesis 3, chapter verse 1. He says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said that you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This is the word of God. So Genesis 3 introduces us to a brand new character. Now this new character is only referred to as the serpent. Now because of other titles we see him given in scripture, it's commonly believed that this serpent was none other than the devil himself, taking the form of a serpent. Now as a quick refresher, if you have not been in church for a while, the Bible tells us that Satan, a.k.a. the devil, was an angel that was created by God. His name was originally Lucifer. But he was not just any old angel. He was the highest created angel. The Bible talks about his beauty, talks about his awesomeness. He was like the, the George Clooney of angels, like the Brad Pitt of angels. This guy was just, this angel was just ruggedly stunning. He was great at basketball, at golf. He sang on pitch. He got it all. Everyone he wanted to sit with him at lunchtime. Everybody wanted to join him on Instagram, and he had all the followers. Well, Scripture tells us that one day, because of all the gifts that God gave him, he took a long look in the mirror, and he kept looking. And as he saw the beauty in himself and all of his awesomeness, he became filled with pride, and he started to believe that he could be a better God than God was. Well, as we know, he failed in his rebellion. And when he failed, he was removed from his position in heaven. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to those listening, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which means God gave him a quick boot. Now once on earth, either out of revenge or in his pride, still desiring to become God, Satan focused his attention on humanity. And then he comes to them as a serpent. And I'm like, not sure why. I would have chose something more friendly like a bunny rabbit or something. I mean, most of us, we would jump, except you ruggedly awesome, adventurous people, we we would jump when we would see a snake, let alone actually talk to one. But they don't seem to be surprised that a serpent is talking to them. Now, maybe they were, and Moses just does not include that. We really don't know. But what we do know And what makes this message so important is the devil is real. He's alive in this world just like he was then. And he's trying to do to the rest of humanity, he's trying to do to you and to me what he did to Adam and Eve. Make no mistake. And what is it that he tried to do to them? Plain and simple, he tempted them to disobey God. Plain and simple, he wanted to see them disobey God's command. He wants to see this with us as well. Peter, talking about this in his letter, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He wants to devour you. He's looking to do it. Now, I don't say this to scare anyone, because when my pastor would preach on the devil when I was a kid, I would go home and I'd be looking for the devil under my bed like a monster. And it's not, because I mean, it's not like the devil forced him. It's not like he held Adam and Eve down the ground. You will eat the fruit. You will eat it. I want to explain something because I've had people think this before. If you're new to the faith or new to the Christianity, Christians are not people. Christians who actually understand the, P, the Bible, I should say, are not people who run around blaming everything on the devil. The devil made me do it. First of all, the devil is not omnipresent. Okay? That means he cannot be everywhere at once. Okay? And, and I, and I got to tell you, there's a lot more peop- important people he's probably whispering in their ear to than you and me. I have no doubt in my mind he's probably in Russia right now whispering to President Putin. And I'm not sure how the devil tempts us. Like if he's omnipresent, if he's not omnipresent, he can't be everywhere at once. I mean, how, how does that work? We don't know. Is it his demons, the, the angels that rebelled against God with him? Okay, does he need to keep tempting us or does he just tempt us once? And the moment we open our door to a certain sin, well, our, our flesh... Our earthly desires, our selfish desires just take over, and he can just sit back and have a vacation on the beach? We don't know. Now, don't get me wrong. The devil plays a role, and we need to be aware of him. But in the end, he's not the one who causes us to give in to temptation. Go back to 3.6 here. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, that it was a delight to the eyes. It means it was spectacular looking fruit. And that it would make her wise. It would give her all these benefits. She took it. She ate it. And then she, it wasn't the devil said, hey, Adam, you want a bite? It was Eve that gave it to Adam. Adam's like, sure, honey. And ate it. So the devil can suggest things. But ultimately, every time that we choose to give in to temptation, Make no mistake, there's no one to blame but ourselves. We are the ones who take the fruit and take the bite. So if it's not the devil who makes us do it, then why? and it's us, why do we struggle so much? Because we could just say no. Why? Because the devil's good at his job. He's good at his job. He has a killer strategy, and he uses it over and over and over and over again. Look what he does. First thing he does, he gets them to question God. Man, listen, if you ever want to know what the origin of sin is, it is right here. It begins when you question God. Not question God for understanding greater understanding, but question God in terms of is what he said really what's best? He says, did God actually say that? What's he doing? He's planting seeds of doubt in their mind. Did God actually say that? How many times I have counseled people who have been in sin. They're doing things the Bible says they shouldn't do. And they're always like, you know, is that really what it means? They don't ever ask that question when it's something that benefits them only when they're being challenged. And I'll do it the same myself. He plants that seed of doubt. And then second, what he does, he lies to them. He lies to them. Here's Jesus speaking to some Pharisees around him. John chapter eight, he says, listen, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Amen. Mm-hmm. See, if she gets it. I mean, and see, see, in verses four and five, he says, "You will not surely die." God says, "You eat this fruit, you will die." The devil says, "You ain't gonna die. You are not gonna die." He says, "God just says that because he knows that when you eat that fruit." Your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil wasn't wrong. But he was misrepresenting what was going to happen when they gave in. Satan's like, man, you are missing out on what God, God has in that tree. He's playing the full FOMO card right here. Full fear of missing out. Now I've had someone ask me before, man. It's kind of mean of God. Why would He stick a tree in the garden and you couldn't touch it? I mean, that's like a parent buying a cake and sitting down and eating it in front of their children, saying you can't have any. That's mean. Well, I don't think the tree was bad. I don't think that's what God was doing because it says that God said all of His creation, when creating the earth, was good, right? So based on that fact, on the base that he does not tempt us, I think that tree actually had a good purpose. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. This is First Jeff chapter 4, verse 5, okay? But this is what I think from other things I read in the Bible. I think perhaps the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was something that served a good purpose at the proper time. For example, there is nothing wrong with people driving. Driving serves a good purpose. But it's not wise for a five-year-old to drive. I think the same applies here. It, 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 I, I believe it's in keeping with more of God's character rather than just sticking a temptational tree there for the sake of doing it, that that tree was going to serve a purpose in the future. When the time was right, the first this couple would be able to eat of it. I mean, compare this to the temptation of Christ. Remember when, when uh, Jesus is fasting for 40 days and Satan comes and tries to tempt him, right? And he said, listen, Satan said, look, and Jesus, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. They'll all be yours. Now, there's nothing wrong with Jesus ruling over all the kingdoms of the world because it was his destiny to do so. However, the temptation that Satan was giving bypassed the appropriate process and timing and seizing it it through selfish and deviant means. And I think this is what happened here. Not that God stuck the tree in the garden just to tease them. But see, this is how the devil works. He gets us to question God, and he convinces us that there's something we should have that God said no to. Even if it goes against God's word, or there's something that we need, or that it's really not that big of deal. Just some examples You can look at pornography. It won't hurt anybody. It's just something you're doing on your own. Or some struggle giving money to the church or to the poor, and they'll say, you don't need to give. That's your money. You've worked so hard for it. It's yours. Have fun with it. That's what it's there for. Yeah, you're working a lot of extra hours, and you're missing time with your family, but you're doing it for them anyway. or the temptation to not forgive. Man, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Your grace. They don't deserve that. Sure God did it for you, but this is different what they did. Younger people before they get married. Oh man, you it's okay if you have sex, you love each other. You're going to get married anyway. We get tempted with gossip. Man, you have a duty to tell other people about so and so. Let me tell you, imagine the damage they could do if people don't know what's going on with them. Some of our addictions, oh, it's just another beer. What's a big deal? Did God really say you got to go to church every Sunday? You're tired, you had a long weekend, you've worked hard, sleep in, you need the rest. Or how about a temptation we don't think about often? Fear. Whoo! How often we are tempted for fear. You know, uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a fictional story about a senior commanding demon training a younger demon on how to steal the faith from someone he's working on, the senior demon says this, So there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. That enemy would have been God to the demon. You see, God, he he goes on to say, God wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business as demons is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Man, how many of us are tempted to listen to our fears, to listen to our anxiety, Instead of being obedient to the voice of God's word, where we're promised comfort, where we're promised to escape a problem that's unsolvable, where we're told that ah, there's no hope in here, God would not want you in this situation. Man, there's so many examples we could go on forever when it comes to temptation, temptation, my prayer, and I've been praying this as I'm working on this message, that this morning, especially for those of you who've been in church a long time and you've heard multiple messages on temptation, that you wouldn't just be staring outside, that you would literally be, like, Father, where am I tempted? Where am I tempted? Where am I blind? Help me to see. Oh, I hope you're doing that this morning. I hope I am doing that this morning, because let me tell you, temptation never gives what it promises; it only takes. And Adam and Eve learned this firsthand. I mean, what happened after they took that first bite of the fruit? It says, the eyes of both were opened. They got that knowledge. But what happened? They looked around and they, I got no clothes on. And they were ashamed of themselves that they covered themselves. And you know they were looking good because God made them. They were like the first draft. So they had probably nothing to be ashamed of. But they were still ashamed. Instead of producing God-like power, the knowledge brought only a sense of human inadequacy, fear, and shame. We'll see in the next verses next week, What the first thing they do, God comes into the garden, they go and they hide from him. Sin, seductive promises, the temptation, it always is a mirage, time and time again. And what's even worse is the devil what he does is once he tempts you to sin and you give in, he takes that sin, he picks it up as a weapon, and he beats you with it. Let me tell you, Tim Keller said this, Pastor Tim Keller, he said, the real reason that Satan tempts you is so that he can accuse you. The devil literally means to slander. See, so he entices you, then he accuses you. Go ahead and sin. God will still love you. You sin, God will never love someone like you. He'll entice you again, just just one more sin, and then you will stop. This is the line, you're done. You sin, you are never going to be able to overcome this sin. You might as well give up now. He entices you to sin, Ah, don't worry, God will forgive you. You sin, you know God may have forgiven you in the past, but you've done it too many times. He won't forgive you. Now, we've all experienced the shame that comes when we give in to temptation. We've all felt that voice attacking us, using our sin as a weapon to tell us how God is done with us. How the devil just pours it on. Some of you here today are probably still struggling with that voice. The crazy thing about this, the one thing I I always struggle with and I just want to beat my head against the wall is we can understand all of these things about temptation and yet we can still be tempted. Like we always talk, I always talk about how dumb fish are. They will see a shiny hook, oh, a shiny hook. And they'll go bite on it. We're the same way. Oh, temptation, I'll go take a bite. I know it's bad for me. I know that's going to hurt me. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, it hurt me in the past. I'm going to do it again and again and again. People always say we're the highest evolved creatures on the planet. I don't know. And this is why you've got to be on guard. I want to tell you right now, if you are not aware, if you could not tell me right now, if we sat down, where you are tempted the most, you are in the greatest danger. devil got you right in the palm of your hand because you don't know how to be on guard. Remember what he said earlier? Be self-controlled and alert. Alert looking around. We walk through our lives day to day. We go to work, we go to school, we come home, blah, 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 like as if everything is just normal and that there's not a war going on that we cannot see. Be self-control and alert all the time, especially when you're the most vulnerable because that's when that's when the devil loves to come. When you are weak, when you are down, when things are going bad, that's when he's like, hey, how you doing? I mean, think of in Matthew 4, we talked about when Jesus went into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I want to touch on one thing. Okay, read this, Matthew 4.2. 4, it says, after he, Jesus, fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was famished. The te- and then the tempter came to him and said so forth and so on. Notice it didn't say Satan came to Jesus right before he fasted and was tired. He waited until Jesus was at his weakest moment. This is how the devil works. He waits for his perfect time. This is why we must every day be self-controlled and alert. This is why we pray and when we look to God and we say, you know, in uh, the Lord's Prayer, once one of the ways that Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's not that God tempts us. It's a saying, God, Listen. I am sinful, and I am fallen. Please help me. It's like this story of a little boy. <laughs> I heard once, and it was a pastor who lived down the street from a little boy who said he was trying to save up money to get a brand new baseball bat. And so he prayed, Lord, help me save money for my new baseball bat. And pre- please don't let the ice cream man come down our street anymore. Right? Do not lead me into temptation. Lord, help me. I need your help. And then one of the things we get that help is we we know scripture. How did Jesus respond to everything that the devil tempted him with? Scripture. Every time. Boom. Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. Finally, what did did the devil do? It's like, okay, I'm done here. I got nothing. And he leaves. This is why knowing the word of God is so important. Because the devil can be defeated. He can't force you to nothing. James 4 tells us, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He knows his time is short. Well, maybe he knows his time is short. Maybe he's really fooled himself that he doesn't. But he ain't going to waste his time. This is why you've got to have God's word in your life. Every day. This is why I say every day, pick up the Bible and at least read one chapter. Start in the New Testament, read one, because this is how you know God's truth to fight the lies of the devil. Some of you sitting here today, you never open up your Bible, and so you're being tempted by Satan, and you have no idea. You don't even realize it's temptation. You don't even realize it's wrong because you don't know God's word. Now with that said, we're not Jesus. Adam and Eve knew God's word. They literally heard it from God, and they still gave in to temptation. They knew what God said, and they still gave in. You know why? Because they stuck around to have the conversation. They stuck around. They they entertained temptation. There are far too many of us who stick around when we get tempted. And, And Chuck Swindoll, he said, there's a name for folks who linger and try to reason with temptation. Their name is victim. Listen, James 1, listen to this. Each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desires are conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's fully born, it brings forth death. See, there's a time here, there's a moment. There's a moment that the temptation comes in. Temptation to anger, temptation to whatever, and then you dwell on it. You think about it. There's a time until the moment that you carry out the sin. The Bible gives really good direction on how to get out of this. This is not a biblical verse I'm about to say, but you get out of dodge. Any of you old school people, any of those who are more experienced in life, you guys remember gunsmoke? You still gunsmoke? Yes, thank you. Gun smoke, this is where you give away your age. The fact that there's a 30-year-old man in the background who knows what gun smoke is, that's impressive. Um, I used to watch gun smoke at my grandma's house, and they used to say, get out of Dodge, which meant get out of a dangerous situation. Don't linger. Don't linger. Eve should have ran and high-tailed it out of there and be like, no, I'm gone. E.C. McKenzie has this great quote. He says, the problem is with temptation that few speed records are broken when people get tempted. We should be boom! And rather we're like, oh, okay, I probably should leave. It seems bad. We all do it. Just linger. We don't take temptation serious enough until it's too late. Many of us, we know we should get out of Dodge when temptation comes, but we don't do it. Listen to what Jesus says. Here's how severe he goes. He goes, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, is he literally saying pluck it out? No. No. But what he is, the pattern he is giving is how drastic of the measures we should take to avoid temptation. And he's not saying if you give into temptation one or two times, you're going to hell. Because that would go against uh, the doctrine uh, of salvation. But it's the attitude and the mindset that if you keep giving into temptation, you're going to walk away so far from God, you will have no relationship with him. You cannot say Jesus is your Lord and Savior and not follow him. So my question to you is wherever you're tempted in your life, if it's fear, if it's anxiety, if it's anger, if it's unforgiveness, uh, it's it pornography, is, is, a, is it spending too much money? Whatever it may be, the, the measures you have taken, can they be likened to plucking your, ear out, your eye out? Can they be likened to that? Or is it more of a casual response? And if it's a casual response, what step do you need to take where it's more like plucking your eye out? And then, who are you going to get to hold you accountable to that step of plucking your eye out? And sometimes it's not even just an action, it's taking thoughts captive when you have that fear that comes into your mind, right? Right? You know, that's even almost worse and harder to deal with because there's not an action to it necessarily so quickly like there would be with, uh, you know, alcohol or pornography or gossip. It just stews in your mind. We need to have people in our lives that hold us accountable. Scripture is very clear on this. We're not meant to be alone. You cannot do ch- This is why some people who make church online, that's their church. Oh, I go to church. I watch it on TV. No, that's not church. That's watching a service, which is good. If you're homebound or you're ill, that's, that's great. Or if you're out of town, But day in and day week, all things being equal, you you need to be in the church, having other people in your lives. This is why we have like men's studies and women's studies. So you can go and build relationships with other people because if you walk alone, you will fail. Ecclesiastes 4.2 says, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're stronger together. Let me ask you right now, wherever you are tempted in your life, who have you shared it with? Who have you shared it with? Who knows about it? And I'm not, ta- and I'm not talking about anybody. I, what mature Christian who actually studies, knows the word of God, and has the guts to call you out and hold you accountable knows about it? Because if they don't, you are a prime candidate to give in to the devil's temptation. Prime candidate. I'm a prime candidate if I don't have those people in my life. We are meant to walk together. That's why I'm excited for the men who gather on Wednesday. I'm excited for the ladies who gather on Tuesday because they are stronger together. And I know we can feel ashamed and embarrassed to share our struggles, but the truth is, we all have struggles. You have them, I have them. Laura and Steph and the band who leads us in worship, they have them. Our leadership board, they have them. All your favorite pastors that you see on time who all look all shiny and perfect, oh, they have them too. Remember Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. What does he say? He goes, why do I do what I don't want to do and why do I not do what I want to do? He struggled with it too. I used to I had a buddy once, he goes, listen, I'm going away on a business trip and sometimes I'm tempted to watch things on the TV in my hotel room that I shouldn't watch. When I get back, can you ask me what I looked at? And I was like, sure. The fact that you divulge your temptations to somebody else makes you stronger. Because when that temptation comes in, you know, oh, so-and-so is going to be asking. And then because you've confessed it to them ahead of time, when that temptation comes in the moment, it's easier to, you know, oh, I'm tempted. Hey, blow and so-and-so. You Remember I told you I was gonna have tr- trouble looking at stuff on TV. I'm getting tempted to do it. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? It's one of the reasons James says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because it gets it out in the open. Let me tell you right now, the devil wants nothing more than you, for you to keep your temptation in the dark. He wants nothing more for you to be ashamed and not to tell anybody. If you're doing that, if you have temptation that you're giving into and you're not telling anybody, he's winning. And it's going to eat you from the inside out. Because you're keeping it in the dark. Because you believe the lies that your sin defines you. You believe the shame of your sin takes away from your worth as a son or a daughter of God. You're believing his lies. You're choosing to believe him over the God who has saved you. Last time I preached on this sermon, I looked it up. It was June 28th, 2020. Last time I did a full sermon on temptation. I have no doubt that some of you watching or listening, sitting here today, you are dealing with the same sin you were dealing with on that day because you still haven't taken that step to get someone in your life who is holding you accountable. You're walking alone. It's time to pluck it out. And the good news is that there, it is never too late to start getting victory against temptation. It is never too late. And we do it first by turning to God. The one thing Satan doesn't want you to do. Listen to this in Hebrews 4. Love this. For we do not have a high priest, which is referring to Jesus, who is incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Basically, Paul is saying, or the writer of Hebrews, Christ understands. He says, therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace when we need help. Let us approach the throne of grace together. It can happen at any time. It's never too late to seek his help for our sin and for our temptations. Invite people into our lives that would hold us accountable, that we may start to have victory. There'll still be sin. We're not perfect, and there's consequences for that sin. But we'll start to see victory after victory after victory after victory until the day we become like Augustine. He was a theologian. And he was known to have a sex problem before he got saved. And there's one specific lady that indulged in this problem with him. And it's recorded, he's recorded to saying that at one point he was walking and he passed her and she noticed him. It had been some time since they last seen each other. And she was shocked that he didn't recognize her and looking for another go around. She's, hey, Augustine, it's me. It's me. It's I. You know me. And it's reported that he turned and said to her, I know, but it's not I. In other words, I am not that man anymore. That is the promise that we have as we look to Christ, as we believe him over God, as we know truth, as we're on guard and flee from temptation, as we walk together with other men and women in the world. That is when we realize that he who is in us, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world. And our lives become a temptation, become a hope and encouragement to those around us who also struggle.